0: The Cocktail Party Congress is brought to you by Vitriol Hair Tonic. When hateful tweets and Facebook posts have you tearing it out at the roots, Vitriol will grow your hair back thicker and fuller than ever. Guaranteed to restore your locks and your sanity in eight weeks or your money back. Vitriol. Grow with the punches. This podcast contains explicit language, thought crime, and graphic depictions of alcohol use. Listener discretion is advised. And please, drink and think responsibly in Vino Veritas. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Ms. Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't. I can. And my children will. You know, I'm a voter. Aren't you supposed to lie to me and kiss my butt? (laughs) welcome to the cocktail party congress the only political discussion podcast to our knowledge with a three drink minimum i am dan caves and i'm jt andrews and uh, if oh we go. <laughs> oh hey well i was gonna say if Hitler invaded hell, I would make at least a favorable reference to the devil in the House of Commons. J.T., do you know who said that? Who? That was uh, the one and only Sir, Sir Winston Spencer Churchill. Yes. And that—that uh, that is a clue to our featured cocktail the, tonight. The name, I just the
1: namesake of our featured cocktail.
0: Yes, yes. The, the cocktail i might using is the Churchill. This was, this was a drink invented by bartender Joe Gilmore, who was the bartender at the Savoy in London. And uh, he, he, he made cocktails commemorating multitudes of famous people to come through the hotel and important events. And so naturally, Winston Churchill has a number of, of cocktails uh, made does. in his honor. And, and he um,
1: drank this, did he not?
0: Uh yeah. And as a and as a matter of fact, we're going to give you a pro tip from the Churchillian side when we give you the, the recipe. So, uh, so the way to make a Churchill is to take three parts Scotch whiskey, uh, and then one part each lime juice, sweet vermouth, and Cointreau or triple sec. Uh, and pour that over ice in a shaker, shake it up, and strain it into a chilled cocktail glass. And if you want to do it the proper Churchill way, you'll make it with Johnny Walker scotch.
1: And garnish with a little orange slice. That that really does the trick.
0: Yeah, a garnish is always a good thing. Either an orange slice or
1: just a a rind. That's what I got. I got, got a little orange rind in there
0: yeah I don't have yeah. anything in here like the recipe that I found online didn't really have any anything here and I'm gonna be a strict uh, strict constructionist on this uh, the, the the drink constitution doesn't mention a garnish so no garnish is necessary in my mind so <laughs> I say leave it up to the states I put a garnish in there I know fair enough hey we're off of the fucking ten. I almost, said, I, almost said the, I almost said the ten commandments. The Bill of Rights. You're way off of the ten commandments. I know. Well, hey, that was last episode. But hey, we're finally making our way into more uh, more nebulous territory. There we there we go. Yeah, yeah. So so we picked the Churchill and JT. Why why don't you give us an idea of why we did so? Uh. Tonight we're going to be talking about the the punching
1: of Nazis. That's that's really the title of our show here.
0: Yeah, that's um, that's the, that's the title he, and the framing device on on the punching of Nazis. And of course, nobody nobody knew the harming of Nazis quite like Sir Winston Spencer Churchill.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a very appropriate cocktail. Probably best enjoyed with a Churchill length cigar, uh, probably Cuban in nature
0: yeah if only I could smoke in my apartment, that would be the best way to enjoy this podcast. yeah
1: but anyway, Nazis we got, anyway we got, yeah we have to talk about Nazis because it was not too long ago, ladies and gentlemen that we we had literal Nazis marching down the street in America like this is a thing like we we, we cannot we need to undo this. But Wait, we have to waving also admit tiki, that it has happened.
0: Wa- waving tiki torches. Uh, as yeah, waving the, tiki uh,
1: torches, wearing polo shirts and cargo shorts.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well uh, a thing that I kind of want to bring up is how new is this? Because honestly, I think that these sorts of people have been around for a long time. But the, I, the times that we're living in and the the technological, like bringing together of people is now possible, that now they're just finding one another. I I think that we've always had people like this around, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: I think so, too. I mean, this is... They're not new. We have had neo-Nazis in in America for for years and years and years. Um,
0: Since the war, really.
1: (laughs) Really, since the war. Yeah, uh, But now we're able to actually see them and we're able to spread news about them, and likewise, they are able to to spread their own news about themselves and organize uh, through social media through the internet, and we really need to talk about the the moral standpoint that average Joe schmo American needs to make about this like what yeah and what it, what is okay to do to combat uh white supremacy and uh, and these Nazis that are marching down our street.
0: Yeah. And, and to expand on the topic and to give a little more context. So you did mention the, the Tiki torch wielding, uh, white supremacists who, who came out in droves, uh, during the, uh, the Charlottesville protests, uh, a little over a year ago at this point. And, um, you know, that was, that was about Confederate statues and, all of these other sorts of things, but in the aftermath of that and after the violence that occurred at the Charlottesville protest, uh, a fellow by the name of Richard Spencer, uh, who, who, yeah, that guy, who, if you dig into his ideology, is pretty much a Nazi. Uh, he, he's the head of the National Policy Institute, which is a think tank, if you want to call it that, uh, that specializes in white supremacy well th- there was a famous video of him you know being interviewed by someone on the side of the street, and somebody just comes up and you know clocks him one in the face and this became one of the one of the cultural touchstones of of our current political crisis really of whether that was a good thing to do how to and, and actually that brings up like so the on the punching of Nazis is sort of the framing device for this conversation. I think that the the meta issue that encompasses that is how do we react when liberalism is exploited to ad- by illiberal people to advocate for illiberal ideas? Like w- when we're talking about free speech and the marketplace of ideas, like what do we do when you have snake oil sales uh, sales people, I guess if I want to be politically correct about it, like Richard Spencer or his ilk. Like, I, I feel like that's the big, yeah. the big issue in, in front of us. And, you know, I,
1: it, yeah. Not, it, not going, it goes back to that. Uh, the par the paradox of tolerance. Mm-hmm. If you've ever heard that where it's the, the only thing that cannot be tolerated is intolerance. <laughs> Because a completely tolerant society, who's tolerant of intolerance, will eventually cave to intolerance and mm-hmm. will eventually destroy itself.
0: And uh, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, one of the things when I was more aggressively conservative in my ways was uh, one of the things we used to say about liberals is that they're they're so open-minded that their brains have fallen out.
1: And. I almost, I'm thinking right now that you mentioned the idea of a think tank and I'm just like, is there such a thing as an anti think tank? Like Mm. the idea that they are using, you know, social media, they are using effectively a think tank to advocate for anti intellectualism, like to, to pretty much tell people to be sheep you by or like wake yourselves up and be sheep
0: yeah the
1: the anti-think tank
0: well it's a i guess one of the things to understand about the far right especially is that it only really matters if it works Like The internal consistency of the approach really doesn't matter. They're just really concerned about what works. And so as history changed over time, as history moved away from brown shirts and white sheets and hoods, and they realized that they were more likely to get support for their ideas if they got neat haircuts and started putting on suits and started going out into... Um, you know, into the world and speaking in dog whistles is the term that's used. Uh, that like that's something that you know they're willing to go about doing that because they know it works on people, and yes, they're not. It does. They're not terribly worried about hypocrisy of you know the intel the intellectual anti intellectual. Um. So so that's something uh, that really needs to be reckoned with. You know.
1: Um, I I agree with you there. Like there is yeah. a. We do have a serious problem in America right now, and that is uh, we are having these white supremacists who are now taking off their hoods. They are uh, dressing like the American everyman, in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, to try to bring in more numbers. And I'm not sure about the numbers. I, I don't know. if Are they yeah, succeeding that's... in doing that?
0: No, that's a good yeah. question. Uh yeah, because I think that one of the things that that f- one of the things that they really want people to think is that they are a huge problem. When really I don't even know about that. It, it's like how many are like it's so hard to get a count on this that they want us to overestimate their influence. And even if it's like if, if it's not true, then we're making a mistake. But if it is true, then like I, I, I don't know exactly how to approach that because I mean, that's that's part of the problem is that it the only
1: it, I will say that it only takes one to drive a car into a group of protesters. Yeah. Like yeah. it takes one person to make that moral choice to say, I am going to kill these people whom I politically disagree with. And uh, and suddenly you we've got Charlottesville as a prime example. Yeah. We have a man who uh, drove a car into a group of post protesters and killed killed a woman. uh, Yeah. Simply because uh, he felt at least in his mind at the time that such actions were morally justifiable. And I think that's what we need to talk about is what is morally justifiable on the resistance against this type of behavior against white supremacy
0: yeah and 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 neo-nazism and all the other you know side things so hey i'll just i guess i'll just kick things off by asking a very basic question should we be punching nazis in, like, in society, should we be going out and finding people that we define as Nazis and punching them?
1: Well, anymore, I feel like um, the idea of just going up to somebody and punching them in the face for, uh, who the, like, their political beliefs, no matter how heinous, they haven't really done, it, except for, you know, when they actually do carry out acts of violence, they haven't really done anything other than get up on a soapbox and talk. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, punching a Nazi in the face just for talking—it it, it would almost re, it would bring us down to their level.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
1: willing to stoop that low to punch a liberal in the face, so why should we do that? Mm-hmm. Like, why should we stoop to that level of and and claim to be morally justified for carrying out an act of violence when they haven't? physically threatened you or carried out any sort of act of violence once they start being violent that is the time when when you are morally justified with for punching a nazi in the face
0: yeah i i've been the unpopular person in my friend group to to have basically that that mindset where it's like it's it's not going to work to just run up to richard spencer and clock him and clock him in the face um i'll add that uh So... One of the things that history can instruct you on, and uh, the historian Timothy Snyder has made this point brilliantly, and I suggest that everybody go check out his work. Uh, uh, some of his most recent books are On Tyranny and uh, The Road to Unfreedom, and he's he, he's like a specialist in Eastern European and Central European history, specialist on World War II, and he's got a lot of sense to talk about our current political situation, but uh, one of the things that he says is that history may not tell you how to act in the future, but it can at least tell you what doesn't work. And, and what we know doesn't work historically is when the far right and the far left meet in the middle of the street to engage in battle, that never ends well. That's basically what what happened during the latter period of the Weimar Republic. You had the communist and anarchist influences. Fighting in the streets, uh, Zusammenstossa was the was the was the term for like these these like almost weekly pitched battles between the Nazi brown shirts and the left wing resistance, and it's something that you know it wasn't a weak it, it, it was a weak democracy to begin with, but that just helped tear it apart even further. It's just that that resorting immediately to political violence, and it's something that I think that is instructive in our situation. I guess, a, a stronger democracy to begin with than the, Weimar, the, the, the post-World War I Weimar Republic in Germany. Um, but it's something that we, we should be thinking of ways to preserve the, the kind of society that we want to live in in the future while also finding a way to, 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 to make it clear to the far right And I'm going to add to the far, far left that those ideas are not part of the discussion.
1: Especially in a
0: very modern uh, democracy like
1: uh, America and the vast majority of Europe, uh, along with uh, some other non-Western nations, uh, we have to realize that uh, violence does not, work to get anything accomplished in fact it it sort of does the opposite by you know punching the nazis in the face you you make them into the martyrs you make them into the victims you rally more people to their cause and the best thing you can do in my opinion is nonviolently resist Mm. if they're given a march try to shut down the street that they're marching on You know, don't let them through, you know, be, be, uh, resilient, be very aggressive with your nonviolence, but do not raise a hand against them, like interfere with them and, you know, bombard their, their phone lines, their emails, their fax accounts, make, make them unable to communicate with one another. You know, that's the way you, you shut them down.
0: Hmm. Like,
1: um, I've never heard people, that before. That's actually kind yeah. of
0: interesting. I never, never thought people, of that.
1: No. Yeah, and that sort of mentality it, it worked really well before the invention of cell phones. Yeah. Because <laughs> way, way back in the day, uh, back back in the dark days of fax machines, uh, that's what they, what people used to do is when instead of occupying buildings, they started calling phones, they started sending faxes, and just bombarding them with all of these. You know this mail, even snail mail, and they hmm. made it made it uh, in, almost impossible for the offices to to communicate with one another.
0: Hmm.
1: And I'm just like, that is the way you you resist. That is, the, <laughs> I mean, can you imagine Richard Spencer get getting like phone calls 24 seven, telling him that he's wrong? I mean, how would he be be able to
0: sleep? Well, brief aside, that that actually just reminded me of something that I remember seeing uh, back when Occupy Wall Street was a thing. And if the National Policy Institute sends out, like, donation solicitations with, like, prepaid postage envelopes included, try this. It was something called Keep Wall Street Occupied. And it was the idea that whenever you get, like, the credit card solicitations, you would take the the prepaid envelope that comes with, you know, you would be... Under normal circumstances you would be sending back your application and a, like all, all your information but what you would do is put a roofing shingle in the envelope <laughs> and send it back prepaid postage and everything and it would just cost the yeah the banking industry enough to like stop stop doing things like that so i I wonder like clever things like that you kind of have to get clever when you're fighting fascism and you do yeah um,
1: it's not, it's not something that you can especially with in the American Republic, you can't really fight them by being violent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause morally you stoop to their level and you, you do, you turn them into martyrs uh, and that's yeah, not and, the way you can really combat this because you're giving
0: legitimacy to their cause. And also uh, I, I would add to that point that you, so there's a so the golden rule says do unto others as you would do on as you would have them do unto you. I think that there's a corollary to that that is not spoken of but should be do not do unto others what you would not want done unto you and it's sort of a like you don't want to legitimize that tactic because it could like it could one day be turned against like first of all who gets to define who's a nazi like Right. One question I want to ask you here is: How do you feel about like Antifa, the like the the sort of like the the confederation of of peoples who who unite under this anti fascist banner? Because like I, I I don't give okay I don't give them my support solely because being anti fascist is a necessary but insufficient position to hold for me to have for me to give my support. And there are enough scary, illiberal, far-left ideas being pushed by Antifa that I cannot in good conscience just sit back and, like, like, blindly give my support to that. And there is a sort of a a mindset of we will punch whoever we define as a Nazi and who we define as a Nazi is... Is nebulous and and not not well defined. It's, it's whoever you, who we say it is, and it's like I can't I can't possibly in good conscience. Right. Yeah, I'm the oh, same way on, on that. On.
1: Like you, you cannot yeah. um, you cannot lead this type of movement based upon what you are against. Mm. You have to tell me what you are for. Yeah, like it, you yeah. can't just take away and not replace i want to talk about what are you replacing it with like wh- yeah. if you are going to take away fascism what is what are your plans to replace what fascism left like I'm yeah. all about getting rid of fascism, but I want to know what is it going to be replaced with if it's going to be replaced with a more i don't i don't know i'm gonna say family friendly version of fascism it it remains <laughs> just that like yeah. there there's you know if it's almost like uh imagine doing away with slavery but just pushing vo- involuntary servitude and just giving a, a new name to that that, that that's what it's going to be like like y- you have to tell me what you are for not yeah. what you are against i'm cool with what you're against but you have to give legitimacy to your movement you have to tell me what do you plan on doing afterwards?
0: Yeah, and often I see among the Antifa types is that, that there is um, when there is an ideology behind it, it's anarchism of some form. Uh, often you're gonna, like I said, the the Weimar example of Nazis fighting communists. Like you're gonna get, you're gonna get some 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 Leninists and some some kind of like history has made its verdict on your ideas too and it it hasn't gone well and i'm not going to to just support this thing that you call antifa and potentially push forward scary illiberal left wing ideas when i'm trying to fight against scary illiberal right wing ideas it's like finding that balance is one of the one of the difficulties of trying to be yeah. a, a a member of the liberal world nowadays um, i mean
1: you're the yeah. solution to driving on the road and veering off to the far right is not to take a sharp turn left and start veering off to the far left i mean yeah. say what you will about yeah. the everybody's like the middle of the road is the most dangerous part to travel on and i'm just like at least you're on the road yeah like, you, you well, can't you can't run a uh you know a campaign like that just based on the idea of, we're we're anti-fascists, all right. So just tell me what you want to replace it with.
0: Yeah. And that that's an important. Yeah, that's absolutely an important question. Like, what what kind of society are you trying to put in after this? And to what lengths are you willing to go to 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 deal with this outside of the context of a declared war? Because I mean, one of the things I'll see, in the, and and I, I get so. I get so frustrated when I see argument by meme. So so do I. (laughs) And some of the things, like in the immediate aftermath of Charlottesville during the whole Nazi punching, uh, back when this is the most fresh idea out there, there was this idea that um, our current situation is a moral equivalency with World War II itself, like a, a declared global war. And that was something that... I just never felt comfortable with. It's either a willful misrepresentation or a failure of history education. It's just not... I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I, well, I'm, like, I, I'm still... Well, given
1: the, given the state of the American education system, I'm, I'm going to say that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, it's... <laughs>
0: I mean... Yeah, it, it's, it, it's a strange place to... Now, yeah. n- n- the problem with fascism... And the analogies that we use, I think, matter. One of the things that I've seen to represent fascism is that it is a cancer. And th- th- that's a tempting way to frame it, but I have a different idea on that. And the, the difference for me is that it isn't a cancer, it's an autoimmune disease of, of democracy so when you have a cancer and this is the this is the logic between behind you know physically fighting even in our current context against fascism is that when you're fighting a cancer the idea is that you poison the host with the hopes that the the cancerous cells will die at a faster rate like you're introducing a poison that the the host body will live hopefully it will be damaged, but it will live. But the contagion will be will be affected. But the idea of it being an autoimmune disease it it reaches into what is expected of liberalism, and it exploits it. It turns it against itself. It takes the idea of the marketplace of ideas, of freedom of speech, of uh, of of political nonviolence, uh, even uh, a free press. And a free press. Yeah, exactly. And it just turns it against itself and it says, we're going to use this to attack those very institutions. Like, the approach to combating that is going to have to be very different from just like political chemotherapy. Yeah.
1: You know, that's probably the most accurate analogy I've ever heard about <laughs> combating fascism in America. Uh, well, that was fantastic. Like, I, I really can't well, uh, say well, I, it's well, thank you. To even top, I, I don't even think I could top
0: that. Well, <laughs> thank you. I mean, and, and it helps, like, looking at history. Look at the way that National Socialism, Nazism, rose in Germany. In 1923, they attempted their revolution, the Beer Hall Putsch, and it failed miserably. The Bavarian government stamped it down. So what did the Nazis do? The Nazis, despite being a openly anti-liberal, party they decided to stick to elections and they molded their message to fit what worked at the time to to play towards uh animosity towards the versailles treaty to play towards the the great depression to play towards all of these things so that they could gain through subterfuge political support and 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 they only
1: had what like uh I think thirty. They have thirty-eight or forty-one percent of the Reichstag. They I think d- they did not have a majority at all. They just no, had no. enough. Yeah, they had they the had largest a, part.
0: Yeah, they had a plurality, and yeah, that that, that was a whole thing. And you know, that's this this yeah. I don't want to get yeah, I don't yeah get too that, far that, down that road, but um, yeah, that's another they, topic. <laughs> they never had more than like thirty something percent of the vote itself. Yeah, and and, and like that's the danger in just resorting straight to and, and 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 I just want to point this out. I totally understand where the impulse is coming from. I I don't want to be that moralizing asshole who's like, "Oh no, you should be you should be calmly debating with the Nazis and like you sh- you should feel bad for ever having the violent impulse." No, it's like I understand Richard Spencer deserves on a moral level to be punched in the fucking face, but <laughs> that's a fact. Yeah. But I, I just uh, like we we need to step back from our immediate emotional reactions and, you know, have a rethinking of how how to how to approach this. Right. Yeah. Everybody,
1: everybody in America loves to talk about their right to free speech, loves to talk about their right to uh, to go out there and, and speak their mind. But there is something that's not written in the Constitution that I think we should start paying attention to. And that is the right not to listen, the mm-hmm. right to walk away from people like this. It's like you, you hear this person, you know, spouting out hatred, denying that the Holocaust even happened, you know, denying and denying and denying, and then uh, proclaiming the supremacy of the white race over the entire earth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You have the right to walk away. Don't give them an audience. Mm. Like just walk away, and ign- I'm almost tempted to say ignore them. You should you shouldn't really ignore them. Know that they exist, but don't acknowledge their existence.
0: Yeah, that I I understand where you're coming from there. Um,
1: yeah, th- that's a big problem is we can't yeah. ignore these types of things. Like to you, just ignore the the idea is to almost deny that the problem exists in the first place. So mm. do not ignore, but do not listen.
0: Yeah, I, I guess the way I'd put it, another way is that there's a difference between so 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 don't ignore the fact that they're out there. They are out there and they've kind of always been out there. In fact, um, th- there's something I want to point our listeners to, and JT, I don't know if you've seen it either. Uh, in 1991, Christopher Hitchens, <laughs> Christopher Hitchens uh, filled in for a talk show where he he interviewed uh, a white supremacist named John Metzger, and uh, it, it was like it, it, this whole problem of the well-cut, like, like, like the haircut, nice suit, alt-right, White supremacist type. It's not a new problem. 1991, there were you know they were already making this adaptation, and Hitchens has a, an explosive interview with one of their leaders at the time in 1991, and I think I'll I, th- I think I'll link it to the show notes. It is it's utterly fascinating to watch happen, and he does he does an incredible job of just uh, cutting these people down. I feel um, like we
1: keep invoking the ghost of Christopher Hitchens, <laughs> knowing full well that he's not going to show up,
0: no, which is not, really sad. Not, not, not at all. No, that's that's never going to happen. But y- you know, no. his work is out there. But he, here's, here's to the here, hitch. Here's to you, Hitch. Yeah, indeed. But um, oh no, I just I just lost the point I was trying to make. Um, um Hitchens, explosive. Nineteen ninety one interview. Working backwards, uh, listeners, bear with us while we deal with the fact. Now, JT, when you okay? So one thing I didn't clarify about <laughs> yeah, the cocktail. Th-
1: this needs <laughs> to be specified.
0: When I said, and uh, oh, sorry, this is coming in like a half an hour in. When when I specified three parts scotch to one part each of the other things, you don't have to treat that as one one shot
1: per part. part. One ounce per part.
0: Yeah, no, not no, that no, no. I'm
1: speaking from experience or anything.
0: Absolutely not, JT. No, you, 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 you've kind of gone off the deep end with this. Go one. big,
1: go big or go home, Dan.
0: <laughs> I got to work in the morning, but my so if I had to give you some cocktail math on this one, treat a part as a half ounce. So one and a half ounces of scotch to a half ounce of lime juice, sweet vermouth and triple sec. You'll I'm I am feeling the effects just fine.
1: <laughs> it's very warm in here.
0: It, it oh, I <laughs> y, you know what? You know what? That's your problem, JT. It's also your problem for the like the part of the country that you're in that that's the weather. I yeah. I,
1: I made this bed, and I will sleep in it.
0: Yeah. Um but uh oh, so I guess this is a great opportunity for us to move on. Uh, to say, I suppose um, so. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not going to get that thought back. Uh, I'll, I'll figure it, it out in Oh po- yeah. There it goes. It's yep. gone. Yep, it's gone. It's
1: gone. Like floating, like the th- floating away on the winds of populism. Gone like the Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: here hmm. we are. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, we really need to. We need to come together as a country and talk about this amongst our neighbors. Like, It's something that we don't really mention a whole lot in just everyday life. Even on the internet, it seems to be it'll pop up every once in a while, but we don't really talk about it. And I think we do. We need to talk about our, the what morally justifiable response can we have to such amoral uh, actions that oh. the... These Nazis have taken.
0: I just remembered what I was saying, Here and it go. and it feeds into what you just said right there. It's the idea that um, there has been historically a certain amount of gatekeeping that's taken place on the right, especially uh, that has gone away. Now uh, I'm I'm speaking specifically about in the 1950s, William F. Buckley, the the founder and original editor of the National Review. He, he was instrumental in forming the modern conservative movement. He, he's dead now, and he doesn't have that influence anymore. But one of the things that he tried to do, whether it was constructive in the long run or not, was to play a gatekeeper for conservatism. And he made it clear that Nazis, you know, white suprem- like. Open white supremacists, like uh, and uh, like the John Birch Society, like the truly crazy people, were not welcome in the mainstream conservative movement. And like he played that gatekeeper role for most of the late twentieth century. It wasn't always perfect, obviously, um, but you know there was at least that that idea that here is what is too far for the right. And if you bring this up, you're out of the conversation. After he dies and in this modern era where President Trump take a drink, we're up to 11 uh, personal, personal mentions of him. Damn it, Dan. Well, I'll keep it at this because uh, now the President of the United States, and I'm going to phrase it that way because I want to make it clear to not conflate the office— of the presidency and our supposed respect for that office with the personality of him. So, yes. so, so when I say that after the Charlottesville attack, the president of the United States said that there were good people on both sides without addressing the fact that Nazis engaged in violence that day, just, just like blanket, like that, like to say that the president of the United States said something like that versus this flamboyant personality, who of whom we all expect that said that. Like, I, 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 I want to draw that that distinction. It's like there,
1: mm-hmm. there is that division. I think, yeah. uh, especially now in this current administration, there is a certain. Uh, it's almost like they don't acknowledge or he, maybe he doesn't understand that there has to be that separation between a person and the office that they are elected to. Like, yeah. It's like when it's like when you say something and you're an elected official, you are saying that as that elected official. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's a personal memo or not. You know, it doesn't matter if it's you as a person or you as the office. It is going to be interpreted as you occupying the office. Yeah. the, The office is now
0: you. Or when candidate, now president, when he as a candidate said that he didn't, when David Duke said nice things about him, David Duke, the Klan member and current like current haircut and nice suit white supremacist said nice things about the candidate and then he said oh I never heard of the guy. I I don't know anything about that despite the fact that like decades like a decade or two before he had like j- just like the way he bends over backwards to not offend the white supremacist vote is just like come on like uh, it, it, it's, this shouldn't be it, hard like this
1: is a a definite symptom of a larger problem Yeah, uh, where we're seeing these white supremacists almost become legitimized because they are being recognized at the highest level in our country. Uh, And that is something we need to address. We need to have people who are in power right now come out and flatly say that this is not all right. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're talking good of me or talking ill of me. Your viewpoints are not at all uh, compatible with what I believe in to be right for this country. And the fact that we aren't seeing them right now at the highest level is very troubling.
0: Yeah. And to contrast that with like, so you and I in this episode, we haven't really had to do any like politically correct throat clearing about how bad Nazis are
1: are view- Nazis. They're like the exactly. best stock villains of all
0: time. Exactly. And, and, and I, and I think our viewpoints and our, our approach to, to our political process makes it clear from the get go that this is already not a good idea. Like, like I, and, and I'll add that like George Orwell never wrote that much. About why fascism was a bad thing, he just went and joined the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> like, yeah, like that's he, a fact. He 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 didn't feel a need to to expound about what bad people fascists are. But then you have the president of the United States failing to make clear when when it is his solemn duty to to make clear to the nation what is and is not. A good thing, like that's kind of a weird, like slightly drunken way to put it, but it's like it's sort of in your court when you have that history and when you have that that level of support among that community to say, no, Nazis should not be ramming cars into people and you know all that other like there is a bit of a distinction there to be made. I don't know. Right. Yeah, like... Like,
1: overall, I I still maintain, it's not okay to punch a Nazi in the face just if you come across them in the street. The only time it's acceptable is when they're actually committing violence against you or those around you.
0: To stop them from like, doing a to, Nazi thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To stop yeah.
1: them from u- continuing to use violence. Yeah. Like, that, that, at that point, it's just self-defense or the defense of others. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. But if you were to just go yeah. up to the street while Richard Spencer's out there in his polo shirt with a tiki torch grabbing his morning <laughs> coffee and his morning paper and just going up to him and punching him in the face, that's not really all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, as funny as,
1: as that image might be, I, that, it's morally not okay to do.
0: Yeah, and uh, again, I, I, I understand where the impulse is coming from, I want to clock Richard Spencer just as much as the next person. It's just, I, I, I have a sense that it's not going to lead to long-term no. outcomes. If we like long-term good outcomes, if, if we, if we stick to that and it's not the kind of society that I want to live in it. Like what you said about it, ignoring, like, yeah, ignoring versus sticking your head in the sand over the issue. Like, right. Don't There's a difference y- between actively
1: ignoring and then pres pretending that it doesn't exist
0: yeah get creative about the way that you make it clear to the nazi that their viewpoint is not welcome in the conversation and it's not like no you don't need to be engaging a nazi in calm debate it's like you don't owe them that you don't own their viewpoint that that endorsement of saying that you're even worth talking to It, it it is a question of you know removing yourself from validating them. Right. That, that that's actually that's actually why Richard Dawkins doesn't uh uh debate creationists anymore because um the idea of getting onto a stage with with someone in that position it, it's it's like I'm just validating you by spending my time and effort to to, to get on a stage and try to refute you. It's like it's,
1: it's much it's, is it's it, almost like trying to. De- yeah. it, you cannot rationally argue with the irrational. Yeah. Exactly. And, the, and yeah. to me, the the uh, the neo-Nazi white supremacist uh, ideology is irrational. It's illogical, and I can't yeah. rationally debate that. So why yeah. should I even bother? <laughs> like it's it's yeah. utter nonsense, and uh, I I won't even. I won't even converse with them, like that's yeah the point of it. And I'll make, and I will make that point very clear that I will not debate them because they they're illogical.
0: Now I'll I'll add to that: you have no responsibility to engage them in that conversation. But we also should not be angry with the type of person who would, and. Because, like, I, I think in a previous episode, I might have brought up um, um, the idea of Holocaust denial, and mm. whether anybody has, like, w- when we hear it in the wild, we have this this like aghast reaction to it, quite rightly, because it's such a such an such a scary concept and. Keep in mind, everybody, that like JT, you mentioned earlier that, you know, the neo-Nazi might be coming up denying the Holocaust. The reason anybody really ever does that is to then make the point that the Holocaust would have been a good idea if it happened <laughs> and that yeah. National Socialism is a viable political option again because the Holocaust didn't. Ha- it's like mm. that's that's usually in the background of. Of uh, of Holocaust denial, but very much so. Should we be upset with a person with specialized historical knowledge who comes forth to put forth the the reasons why that is not a good viewpoint to have? Hmm. We should be patient with that because from time to time, we should we should at least have people with that specialized knowledge be willing to come forward and reiterate why we know why what we why we know what we know and i think that there is a value in that at least like uh, it's not that like questions we get this feeling that questions are usually settled and we never have to speak of them again i don't think that's entirely true you're always uh-huh. going to get an asshole to come forward and and say we didn't
1: land on the moon or that space alien somehow yeah. built the pyramids. And it's just like, man, what a self-damning outlook yeah. on life to say that we didn't. There's no way we could have landed on the moon. There's no way that yeah. we could have built the pyramids. Wow. That yeah. that tells me a lot about your viewpoint of human nature. Yeah. Human beings are remarkable creatures and we are capable of a lot of really amazing things. And I And I think those two events... Really stand testament to that,
0: yeah. But a, exa- but exactly.
1: Rant over. There we go.
0: No, no, that's fine. I, I enjoy your rants.
1: The, 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 uh, you, you want another one? <laughs> I will just say that if Richard Spencer Spencer is an unlikely listener of our show, uh, and we're talking about punching of Nazis, uh, yeah, I'll go in the ring with them. <laughs> Queensberry <laughs> rules. <laughs>
0: we will go ten rounds with Richard Spencer. Why the hell yeah. not? I'd go. I'd go ten rounds with Richard Spencer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> who, who, what the, what white supremacist would you fight in the ring?
0: <laughs> oh man, uh, for the biggest challenge, I'd probably pick Julius Streicher, the, the the like one of the propagandists from Nazi Germany. He looked like he he looked like a boxer, like yeah. he had that like that beefiness to him. It's like I feel like that would be be a satisfying a satisfying haymaker to land. I don't know, <laughs> but you um, lost,
1: yeah. But it felt so good to punch him in the face. <laughs>
0: Just give me one, um,
1: yeah, just one good one.
0: But yeah, for, like the average person is not responsible for refuting a scary illiberal asshole. But we we should also make room for when specialists want to come forward and make the point again to make sure that the current the current culture understands why and how the Holocaust happened. And the other plethora of issues of you know of scary liberal ideas that right. may come forth from time to time. Like mm-hmm. that's my point is that like exactly.
1: And yeah. I, I don't I don't really understand Holocaust de- denial because it's like the Germans kept very accurate records of everything they did, and they were proud of what they did. Like at that point in history, and I'm just like that's. How can you deny this, that it happened based upon that? I mean, yeah. you have people who are not not only documented that they did it, they documented it incredibly well. Not like the Soviets. Soviets would change records, you know, at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. But no, they they kept accurate records and they were like the Nazis were proud of what they did. Mm. I take that back about the Germans being proud of what they did because there is a difference between the Germans and the yeah.
0: Nazis in World War II. Yeah, we make that distinction very, very clearly. Is like, yeah, we refer to it as Nazi Germany and not just Germany from 1933 to 19, yeah, yeah, right to 1945. Yeah, sad time in history. Uh, for sure. Well, there we have it. Well, JT, uh, um, anything else you want to add to this? I mean, it seems like. Uh, is there anything else we wanted to touch on here? Uh, if you make the full strength
1: Churchill cocktail,
0: be you're you're
1: in for a wild ride.
0: Yeah, I believe it, man. I mean, I was feeling
1: it after drink
0: one, and I'm on drink three. I, you are doing you were doing the devil's work over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: oh,
0: man. Well, before yeah. the Illuminati uh, kick in and. Uh, you know give us a give us what for you know maybe we should say that um, if you want to support the podcast maybe it would be a good idea for you to go onto Apple podcasts onto iTunes onto Google play whatever whatever you know podcast catcher you're using to get this podcast and give it a five-star review that would probably be the best give it a good review tell us what you think you know give give yeah. people an idea of what to do it's going to help us in the algorithm you know we we, we have we, fun yeah we love uh we love the fact that we actually have listeners <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, we
1: uh the, and we would love it if you shared it with your friends. Tell your friends, your family, your pets. I don't care, but uh, yeah, th- the five podcast... star ratings though really help, or yeah. any sort of rating. Get it, yeah. get us out there so that more yeah. people are able to listen to us.
0: This podcast is fun enough to do on its own, but you know we do enjoy the fact that you all enjoy what we're doing, and if you think it's worth passing along, giving us a good review will make it easier for 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 strangers to find. To find the podcast.
1: And there's the Illuminati. Oh, shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Remember. It was, it was going to come right. sooner or later. And, you know, <laughs> once again, what? if you want to get in touch with us, please send us an
1: email. Uh, you can email us at cocktailpartycongress at gmail.com. You can send us a Facebook message. We are on there. We're on iTunes, Google Play, and, uh, yeah please please send us uh e- your emails your thought mail your thought mail love mail <laughs> love mail hate mail thought mail sultry love love letters et cetera et cetera and uh we might even read them on the air the next time we are on i guess
0: <laughs> yeah if they're interesting enough you know m- make it good people <laughs>
1: yeah once again Kevin McLeod is responsible for our intro music of Darksea land you can find more of that. Uh, that music, royalty-free music at Incomputech.com. Indeed. And there we have it.
0: Well, JT, this has been a fun dis- uh, discussion. And, uh, and I I'm will- feeling it. Uh, I know, man. Yeah. Once the Illuminati <laughs> found the it. Go full Churchill. Yeah, once the Illuminati found out you went full Churchill, they needed to cut this one kind of short. But uh you know what? Next uh, next time we will we will be a little more precise with our measurements and <laughs> same bat time, same bat channel. Amen. All right, JT, on the other side of the moc. All right. Yep. In In vino, vino Veritas. veritas.
1: <laughs> Dear listeners quite often one seems to hear a familiar refrain made by those with more easily bruised sensibilities. By that I mean the phrase, I'm offended. Nowadays, it seems as if any controversy unearthed in our everyday life is met with such a phrase and endures no further investigation or debate. Such a phrase is seemingly used so often that it carries with it almost no meaning other than to convey an emotion of frustration or disgust, without any further look into the deeper questions that such scenarios or dialogues present. The phrase, I'm offended, seems to only attack target without argument, let alone supporting evidence. It is Aristotle's pathos without logos. No evidence is needed and no further thought is given. What we should start doing is asking Why something offends us? The simple question of why opens up new doors to debate and free thought. It requires evidence and the elimination of hypocrisy through self-reflection. Being offended should carry with it the burden of its own definition, a sense of moral outrage. And likewise, it also carries the burden of making change possible through response Offense should be taken as a sort of anti-morality, being as morality is based upon a person's unshakable guiding principles in life. Whatever one's moral principles are, offense is a term one should give to paying witness to words or actions that go against those principles. Rather than simply pointing out that you are not comfortable with what you are witnessing, the next step must be taken. Action should arise from the answers to the questions that you have asked yourself. Why am I offended? What moral principles of mine were violated? And what can I do to set things right? Offense should take root in the moral principles of substance, that is to say, the things that matter, human suffering, persecution, the abandonment of reason, the wanton neglection of our rights under the law and as human beings. These are manifested the ideas that one should take offense to. Not because your barista was rude to you after you patronized her. Not because that driver on the highway didn't use a turn signal because they were rushing to the hospital. Rude behavior, while irritating to deal with, is nothing compared to an innocent person brutalized by police. Or the uninsured woman with an autoimmune disease unable to afford the drugs that keep her alive or the bigot making cries of blood and soil to rally new recruits to the cause of white supremacy. These are the things one should be offended by, and likewise, they demand response, the burden of action in the face of moral outrage. Help the innocent's case in court by helping with the legal costs. Help the uninsured by offering to pay for the next supply of life-saving medicine. Help combat bigotry and hatred through active resistance and protest. Above all, though, we must constantly question our own moral principles. We must ask ourselves why we believe what we believe. Why are we offended? What do we, as human beings, value? We must move beyond our ideological pathos and establish our sense of logos and our sense of ethos. The next time that you feel yourself about to utter the phrase, I'm offended, take a moment and ask yourself, why? The answers may surprise you, but you will leave yourself just a little bit wiser than you were before. The Republic still stands.